On today's show, we sit down with an icon, with a character actor and a creator that has been working in cinema since he was three years old, since he was a child. And he's he's got the face that every time I see him, every time I see him on screen, and oftentimes it's a surprise, like he'll spin in a chair, he'll turn around, he'll look towards the camera, and I go, holy shit, Clint Howard is in this movie. And every time I see him on screen, the way he carries himself, the characters that he builds, just his presence makes every scene better. And I I know it sounds like I'm gushing over today's guest, and it's because he's one of those unsung heroes. And I I love, I love focusing on these people that have influenced us, that make audiences smile every time they do their job. I was happy to get Peter Stormare on the show because I feel like these two guys fit into the same category. These are actors and legends that I would be honored to work with. These are the type of folks that you hire to make a scene better, to take what is on the page as like the gas station attendant and turn him into Carl, this strange, crazy fucking dude that brought something so imaginative to set that made that scene into something incredibly special, actually makes the lead have to work harder in order to to get through it. (laughs) <laughs> I love it, man. And I'm fucking excited for today's show. I, uh, f- I hunted him down. I found Clint on uh, Instagram, I think, wrote to him. And as soon as he responded and he w- they showed a little bit of interest in being on this show, we made it happen as quick as we could. I'll say that, man. And you're in for a treat with today's show. So if you haven't figured it out yet, welcome you're listening to In Love of the Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy, a very excited host today. Um, and uh, thanks for listening. And thank you, everybody, for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy or following the podcast at Love of the Process Pod. That's Love of the Process POD on Instagram. I have been uh, shipping out uh, signed copies of the 12KM script for the short film. I've been shipping out signed t shirts. This stuff still exists. There are still quite a few shirts left in various sizes. So if you want one for either the podcast 12KM shirt or if you want the podcast storyboard shirt that I have, which is one of those shirts that you wear on set and everybody gets excited about it, um, they are available. And um, yeah, man. Fuck, man. I, I, I don't want to take too long with the intro of today's show because there's so much to talk about and i'm so excited chatting with clint now for those of you those younger listeners who don't know or don't think you know clint howard you do you've seen him before maybe you uh, are a fan of his work in waterboy remember his work in waterboy uh he's also played parts in the austin power series um believe it or not i didn't know this he was the voice of the young elephant back in the original Jungle Book, the animated Jungle Book movie. Fucking weird thing I found out when I was digging around. I had no idea he did that. He's in one of my favorite sort of cheesy, possessed car movies from the 80s, or it was the late 80s, early 90s, called The Wraith. Have you guys seen The Wraith? That movie influenced me when I made my film Moped Nights. Clint and I get to talk and get nerdy about that, which is fun. Um, he's also been in a bunch of Rob Zombie's recent movies. Um, and he goes through and talks us through his entire career. It's it's a fucking blast, man. And yes, he is the brother of Ron Howard. 
Academy Award winning, like one of the biggest directors in Hollywood. Uh, and uh, those two have written a book. If you guys haven't heard it yet, you can find the audiobook. It's called The Boys, Memoir of Hollywood and Family. I haven't listened to it yet, but after my conversation uh, with Clint on the show today, I'm actually going to put that on my, I think it's on Audible, so I'll put that on my Audible playlist. I'm pumped to go through it because the two of them came up. They were sons of, uh, you know, a director, an actor in Hollywood. So they grew up in the business. They grew up while they're, you know, Clint talks about his earliest memories being uh, in the space while his, you know, father was delivering lines on stage uh, to, you know, some of becoming child actors and being trained by their dad and, you know, I think one of the most infamous for all of you super nerds out there, your Star trek nerds out there, uh, Clint was uh, played <laughs> a memorable role in a Star Trek episode. Just Google search it. Just go to YouTube and look up Clint Howard Star Trek. And for those youngies, watch that bit. It's fucking great. It is great. Um, so there's so much to talk about on today's show. There's so much to talk about on today's show. So let's just get to it, all right? So uh, grab a beer, take a seat, get ready, man. And, and this is a great episode for all us film fans that grew up loving movies in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. Because, I mean, Jesus, man, Clint has over 254 credits on IMDb right now. Just go there right now and scrub through it. And you'll be surprised at the things that he's shown up in. It's crazy. So uh, grab a beer. Get ready. We're going to take a trip into the magic of Hollywood. We're going to take a trip into the magic of cinema. And we're going to talk deeply with one of the best character actors of our time. I will say that. So strap in. Crank up those noise-canceling headphones. Sit back and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Clint, thanks for being on the show. I'm so excited to chat with you today, man. Well, hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, Mike. No problem. Yeah, dude. I mean, look, let me just start. I'm sure you've heard this a a thousand times, but uh, I am a huge, huge fan of all of your work. I mean, I have nothing as a director myself. I have nothing but the utmost respect for talented character actors that come into scenes and just add such a level of gravity to them add such a sense of realism and character uh, to moments is my favorite thing as a director. And uh, uh, I just love it when I see you show up in a film. It's my favorite. (laughs) Jesus. Thank you, man. Those are very (laughs) kind words and I appreciate it. And it, 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 that makes me feel good. I kind of want to throw my shoulder out, patting myself on the back. Uh, I appreciate the fact that you acknowledge or, you know, kind of, 
uh, appreciate my work yeah. and what I do because that's kind of what I do. And and for people to say, "Wow, you do that well," I mean, that's pretty good, dude. I love it, man. It's it's parts like yours, and I've had like Peter Stormare on the show, and we've talked about the same thing. Um, it's you guys are the reason why I love cinema, and like there's. You know, the leading roles get a lot of attention. And I think oftentimes to be a lead in a film comes with this layer of stress and like this inability to do create really creative stuff. And uh, the exciting characters from here are always the folks that, uh, that can have the freedom to come on set for a few days and just knock it out of the park, man. And um, it, it, like you're a prime example of that. With well, everything I've seen. Well, listen, thank you again, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> and and listen, you know, to get into the weeds a little bit about being a character actor, yeah. you know, actually the, what is the process? Because you ultimately have, you know, uh, 12 hours or so to, to sort of ultimately create the character and then deliver it the first day while you're working. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. the idea is you got to bring what you do to the set. Whether whatever kind of whatever they're asking you to be funny or they're asking you to 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 set the audience up for a horror scare, whatever the situation is, you know what your intentions are. Mm -hmm. So then the fact is, is filming is filming. And, you know, when all said, I mean, it, in a matter of a few hours, your work, your work will begin to be cemented and your the attitude that the character has. That's what you're going to have. So you got to go right to work as a character actor. Yeah, man. I mean, and it's got to be complicated too, right? Because oftentimes you're just sort of walking in, you're dealing with the director for the first time, right? You're not getting that much prep most of the time when you're when you're doing a walk-on bit and you're just trying to navigate, you know, what's happening on the set, the politics of the set and how you're going to interact with whoever's leading the scene, correct? Well, yeah. Listen, for me as an actor, um, you know, the director, I was certainly – right away will say, sir, is this what you're looking for? Because he's the storyteller. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's the guy, hopefully our, you know, hopefully I've been hired because people recognize what I do is interesting and, and it's kind of what they want. Um, but ultimately, I, you know, my job is to do what, you know, I'm a tool of the director. Mm -hmm. That's great, man. That's great to hear. And it's, you know, being a director that works with actors often, you know, it's this, weird game of at least the way I work on things. I, I don't believe that I know all the answers. You know, I, I believe that I'm figuring them out and I have the ability to choose, but I rely on actors like you to come in and add flavor, especially to uh, smaller bit parts or, or character parts that, uh, you know, oftentimes it's very simply described on the page as like, you know, the, the guy that works at the, you know, at the radio tower. Store, it's like, okay. Store manager. Yeah, right, right, I mean, right. There's, there's, you know, store manager is just one of those kind of, oh, there's the role. Well, yeah, but if his job, if that character's job is to throw a monkey wrench <laughs> into the story or add some moment that is going to make the thing memorable, well, then that's why the store manager, you know, is that that's an important character in a story. Yeah, man. You know, sure. I mean, potentially, potentially, hey, listen, and just on a side note, I mean, and this happens almost exclusively with my brother's work, you know, is I like to be named. Mm. I don't, I don't, I, call me a name, call me, you know, my character is Rico, not the lab technician, 
you know, or yeah, like in Backdraft, my character was an autopsy technician. Now, my scene was with Robert De Niro, but that's on the page. It would say lab tech. Yeah. You know, but you knowing the director, I said, hey, bud, you know, this guy needs a name. So so we make a point of naming like in that movie. It was Rico. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So anyway, that's one advantage of having a good relationship with the director. Yeah, well, the best relationship with with your brother, at least. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, listen, he, as much as he's my brother, Mm -hmm. he also is a a former actor or an actor himself and understands the plight of actors. Yeah. So he he understands understands an actor's mentality. Right. You know, kind of what they're looking for. You know, if they're so anyway, I mean, he Ron commiserates because actors, actors can get really screwed in situations. Oh, for sure, dude. The, I have nothing but respect for the craft, man, because there's such a level. You guys can't do your job until someone shows up with a script, right? And then there is a, a level of trust that you have to have with this individual, uh, and just to be able to perform correctly, right, and and to be able to to go in a place that you probably wouldn't go as a real human being, but you have to go to this place as this character and then trust that it's going to be put together later on because you you're in and you're out, you know, like this. Oh, listen, I, you know, first of all, I've been cut out of movies. Yeah. I've had that experience of working in a scene and yet, you know, when they finally cut the picture together, they just didn't want this element in their movie. It had nothing to do with me. But it was sort of a plot point that just needed to get cut. And my mm-hmm. character, I had a funny thing where I did. I did a funny kind of bit. And anyway, the director sent me a note, said, listen, I'm sorry, but, you know, your character has been eliminated. <laughs> That's got to be heartbreaking, right? Because you, you do all the prep and you go to set, and you you put something together that you really love. And then yeah, they, don't like, they don't like it. And then they, you don't even get residuals. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the worst, man. Yeah, you go and you, you bust your ass. Oh, I've got friends. Tell, that yeah, the whole thing. No, listen, I've been in movies where I've worked for three or four days and I my shoulder has ended up just passing through the frame. Huh. Maybe the back of my neck. <laughs> Literally in a film. That you might you might see me walk past camera once, but the rest of my stuff got cut out. But I worked uh, on the movie for probably five days doing this sequence and just stayed but because I was in it a little bit. Even if it was the back of my neck, I still collect residual checks from that movie. That's that's great. That's great that you're protected like that. That's great. Yeah. Um, but when you do something like that, let's say you go and you work for five days, um, at least I, I, I mean, at least you're going to do the craft, right? Do you still enjoy, you know, like if you're in a situation like that, are you like, well, I got to hang out and I got to act with Robert De Niro for like you know a couple of days? Does that does that make it feel better, or are you still like, fuck, they cut me out? I know. <laughs> honest to God, honest to God, I'm a gainful employment guy. Yeah. I, you know, a good, for me, life works better if I've got a job. Yeah. It's just, and, and, and my, my wife, Kat, sees it. You know, it's, it's really apparent that it's, that's critical. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Keeps your brain in the right place, keeps you motivated. Yeah. 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 As much as actors do, listen, I've, you know, for a long time, I played a lot of golf. Hmm. And that was a way that, you know, 
two or three days a week, I would spend a half a day just being gone, mm -hmm. doing my own thing, playing golf. But um, anyway, you know, acting, listen, you know, acting has changed now. Oh, really? Well, sure. The, the audition process, oh. sort of what the expectation to get the job. Listen, Mike, I don't always get handed a role. Right, 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 right. Because you, you still have to audition for almost everything you do, right? Well, uh, yeah, a percent, a, a good percentage of things. People want to see the goods. Yeah. Even if it's just on tape. I mean, even if it's this ridiculous, you know, Zoom audition yeah. thing. Yeah. How can anybody really determine if this guy's going to be good for your movie by seeing a videotape of him yeah. reading some lines up yeah. against a wall? It's the worst, man. And as a director, it's the worst. And that, that you know, because what you want to find is the director, especially if you're doing some sort of casting stuff. And if you, if you can't be there, let's say the project's so big, you're hoping that your casting director is doing this, but you want to hear how. You want to hear the toolkit that that actor has, you know. You want to you want to know if you're in the weeds, you know. How's this? How's this guy going to get us out of it? You know, it, it is it just. Can't, yeah, I just can't imagine. I mean, for me personally, and you know, I've got directing kind of on my immediate future, and I have directed in the past. Nice. Um, you know, the the there. Listen, there's an expectation. I, first of all, I want to see. In person, I want to be in the room mm -hmm. with a guy that I'm going to have to be in the foxhole with mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. making a movie. Because mm -hmm. making a movie or even just a you know good good creative television experience, whatever you know you would call it now. Um, it listen, you, you got to it's 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 like being in a foxhole. Yeah. You got to trust those people that are in that foxhole with you. Yeah, because stuff comes at you. I mean, the best plans in the world, <laughs> and you show up, and it's like, ah. And even if it's not negative things, even if it's positive things that show up, and you go, oh, fuck, this was really cool. How about we swap all this? And and if you're in the room with the right people that can pivot while things are changing, uh, because, you know, as a director and as a creator myself, it's like you're always hunting for something that feels incredibly natural, or you're looking for something that inspires you after being that asshole that's sort of sitting down in front of a pad and going like, I have this idea, and this is what I think is going to happen. And then you, you know, work with someone like you, and you see this flourishment that comes out of it. It's like, fuck, this changes the way I see this whole sequence. How could we, all right, let's, and you want those people around you that are improv enough or not even improv just ready to like shift their foundation and go okay we had rehearsed this but it, this seems really fucking cool let's go down this path you know well yeah you've listen it, it being a, being in a situation where there's a set where there's a director and he's handling actors or at least getting actors to do certain things that that whole the whole process yeah. That that making a film is if that was life, you know. I mean, at one time, at, at one time, I, I think it was with Cat. Uh, we were talking about having one of those to do lists, you know, like you have at home and you put on the kitchen, you 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 put on the refrigerator door. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, you have it instead of it being a like a, a ten things to do list, have it be a call sheet. Like, this is how the day has to get handled. Oh, smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. In a way, listen, a lot of times in my life, I, I, I say, okay, now I need to be my own first assistant director. Mm -hmm. 
and make those first assistant director decisions as opposed to always just in my own life, always being the creative guy. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's part of being a freelancer, right? That's part of being an independent contractor. Like life, uh, there is, you know, there is no real structure. And when you have a gig, there's a lot of fucking structure there, right? Because everything's scheduled out and you know where you're supposed to be and people are telling where you go. And, um, it's kind yeah. of relaxing to a certain extent as a freelancer of my perspective on that. Cause I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. All right. I know what I'm doing. And then every time I finish a project, you sort of plummet into some form of depression, whether it's a big depression or a small depression, you're like, Ugh. or you're like exhausted and you, you throw your rhythms off. And then it takes me another week to get my rhythms back into place again. And I rely on to-do lists and stuff in order to pull my ass out of yeah. bed every day. Well, that's, you know, you, 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 Everybody, I mean, listen, this is now, and I've, I'm far from being the self-help guru guy. I mean, I'm, I, I, I recoil at mm-hmm. those characters that try to tell you how to live your life better. You know? Yeah, me too. You take mm-hmm. my seminar for $39.95, and we'll, <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get up close and personal with your inner psyche. I promise you that. Yeah, if it was so good, why are you fucking taking the time to sell me on you the seminar? Me, you, want, you want me to give you $39.95 you to tell me shit about life? Yeah, yeah, right. And I'm supposed to have a pencil and a paper standing by to write this stuff down? Yeah. No, I did. So, no anyway, that, that, that's not me. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that guy. I'm not, I'm yeah. not dispensing, you know. Like this is how you do life, but if you do, if if you did treat your day like it was a you know a movie set, mm-hmm. and you you've got to attack the day, we got to be done. We got a lot to do. We got to pick the kid up, and you know, just got to go mm-hmm. grocery shopping. There's just a whole myriad of things you got to do. And if you had a, if you just laid it out like it was a shot list, mm-hmm. so. Anyway, that's my, that's how I entertain myself. That's how I entertain myself on a daily basis. I think it's important to talk about this stuff, man. Like this is the stuff that a lot of people don't talk about. And and most of the time, this is what we try to do on the show. It's like, what's it really fucking like to be, you know, uh, a professional actor or, or a character actor and then go from having all that structure to not having that structure. And that's weird because the way our business works we, we get a part or you get a role or I get a movie, they're expecting us to drop everything. So it's like, whatever the fuck you were doing before, that's done for this period of time. Do yeah. this. This is the most important oh, thing. Yeah. It's, listen, show business. And listen, you could tell old stories about, you know, the zoo, the, the circus coming through town. And, you know, <laughs> Eddie joins the circus. <laughs> Those stories. But the fact is, is we are, it is kind of a, being an actor, we're just, I'm, I'm working at the Midway. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think on my Twitter account or something, I typed that in there one morning. I said that, yeah, I'm like a guy with a booth at the Midway. <laughs> and I, I, you know, every day I set up my little, you know, my little stand and I've got my own little act. I'm Clint Howard. This is what I do. I don't, I, you know, I don't have a two headed monkey or anything crazy, but I am who I am. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the people who are enjoying the carnival, they put to- tokens in this hat that I have right up front. Mm-hmm. And that ends up, you know, at the end of the day, I take that money and I move on to my next spot. Right. Right. That's the job. That's the job. It's it just, it just, you know, I, I'm not, I don't own the carnival. 
I don't run the midway. I'm just a guy with a booth on the midway. <laughs> uh, but you still love it, right? Is you still love the job? Oh yeah. Oh no, no. Being creative, being creative is really, uh, you know, I, very fulfilling. And in fact, I'm working on a thing now. I'm I'm doing a movie called an. It's not called Another Ice Cream Man, but you know, when I was back in 1994, mm-hmm. I was in a movie called Ice Cream Man. Yes, you were. <laughs> and it became kind of a cult thing and Mm -hmm. people really respond to it on a really you know different level it's fun it's become its own thing so norman apstein the director and i Mm -hmm. have decided to make another ice cream man movie that's awesome it's a different (laughs) character it's a horror movie about a guy that he's an old ice cream man Mm -hmm. and you know at the beginning of the movie, you don't really understand. And I don't believe he would, you know, would have any intention on putting body parts in ice cream. But through a series of circumstances, this guy snaps. And, and the first part of the movie is, is setting up those circumstances. <laughs> I love it so much. You must have so much fun playing characters like that. Well, yeah, this guy in particular, boy, getting to really be, you know, talk about, being able to make commentary on things, <laughs> yeah. you know, seriously about, you know, situations. And when you can look at, especially a horror character, yeah, you know, what's he going to say to him before he kills him? <laughs> <laughs> you know, those are going to be important words. Yeah. Anyway, it's just that weird bit twisted stuff that, you know, it does. Listen, I have a big smile on my face right now talking about it. Dude, I do too. <laughs> I do too. I mean, that's my bread and butter. That's what I do. I do horror. I've been a horror director for a while now and I love it, man. And I, I think that it's one of the most fun genres to work in because it's the one where the audience has uh, the most suspension of disbelief. They know what they're in for, right? It could be a serious horror. It could be a dramatic horror. It could be a cheesy horror. Uh, they're in there. They're, they're along for the ride. They respect technique and skill. They love, uh, you know, when you're, as a storyteller, being uh, crafty about shit. They also love it when you're being dangerous with stuff. And, you know, you can really sort of forgive a movie technically in horror as long as it's got personality, um, well, now you just struck on something. Yeah. The bar isn't very high for whatever reason. And you can s- psychoanalyze why the expectations of quality are not really there in the horror community. Mm. I, I don't know. Well, first of all, I, you know, it, it's a but they don't care. Yeah. Listen, you know, Terrifier 2 is this movie that I met and had a nice long chat with the director. Mm-hmm. And exactly what this movie is, and what it shows, and and you know, it's just wild. It's wow, cr- and it's crushing, man. That movie's that movie's done incredibly well because the audience yes. was hungry for something like that. Yes, yeah, and and and, and listen, it, and at the end of the day, I mean, come on, it's just entertainment. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, listen, and and you want to be, you want to make good entertainment, but that's what it is, entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. And, and people want to go to, especially with horror, they sign up for, they, they, they sign a deal with us as the creators and they say, hey, look, we, we just want to be scared. At one point in time, I want to go to this thing and I want to be freaked out. Yeah. And, and you're like, all right, cool. I got it. That's what you're looking for. I'll put that on the menu here. And then. And if she, listen, there's all, if you look, because my wife and I go to a lot of these horror conventions. Yeah. 
and you see the the, the oh I don't know the, uh, I don't want to get too in the weeds on this, but almost like subculture. Yep. Well, first of all, Rob Zombie, mm-hmm. you know, Rob Zombie and the, his movies that he's made have left an incredible impression on people. Yeah. And you've worked with him. So you were on both, you were on both the Halloween movies. No, you were on a Halloween movie and then you were on his uh, recent one, right? Three from hell. Yes, that's right. Yes. I, yeah, actually. And I've worked for, with Rob a couple of times and then he did, he actually did a funny, he, he directed me in an Andros ant bait commercial. What? Ant bait. <laughs> <laughs> and I was the serial killer of ants. And the, the commercial started with real close-ups of me, and I looked like I was doing a ransom note. And it was like, I'm going to kill all of you. And then that was the – and I was doing it in, in with an exacto knife and pasting the letters on this. It was all very arty, right? Yep. And it was – and but the punchline was I am going to kill – ants and then i'm out in the backyard using this product it was really silly <laughs> how long ago was this oh i don't know four or five years ago i don't think i've ever seen it i have to hunt for it no yeah amdros ant bait clint howard youtube okay. it's there I'm, I'm i believe looking. it's there I'm but anyway i you know so i've i've known rob a long time yeah and worked with him a couple of times and he always seems like a really nice he's a nice guy i like him genuine yep he keeps his word, you know? Uh, so anyway, it was that, you know, yeah, I've been in that. Actually, to be honest, mm-hmm. I mean, Ice Cream Man for me left an impression on other people. Yeah, yeah. And I was also cold. in another film called called Evil Speak. I don't think which I've seen that. I can understand why people would, would you know, uh, oh, when that evil speak would leave a, a memory, a uh, kind of a you know, it's a, it's a hold on a second, I'm a little distracted. The yeah, printer in the room is going off, <laughs> it's fine. Man. See, my wife is in the other room doing stuff, and the, the printer is here. <laughs> it's fine, man, not a big deal at all. Hey, okay, anyway, well, listen, where were we? Well, you were talking about evil speak and how it left an impression on, on oh, folks. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, but other than that. I've not made a lot of horror movies. I mean, I've made a lot of movies. So you could p- pick out the ones, you know, Humanoids from the Deep. Mm-hmm. I did a day on Humanoids from the Deep, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm known. It's a, it's my, I was in Leprechaun 2. That's right. I go, to, I go to conventions and a lot of people will come up and they want me to sign stuff. And they, you know, from Leprechaun 2. I was only in Leprechaun 2 for just a short period of time. That's so funny, man. It's funny how rabid the audience gets in horror, man. And how, like, how they love to really uh, become encyclopedias for it. You know, where there's this, there's this period of time where, where folks are just excited to to know that you were in leprechaun too and you know like yeah, I, know. I mean one of my and, and favorite I, movies that you were in was the wraith i think that movie is one of my favorite films and that's an old yeah. school one man yeah favorite yeah. what you, you're not going to rank that in an all-time list of movies are you no it's just it's 
<laughs> no, it just falls into like one of those films you see as a kid, right? Those are one of those films yeah. that you randomly go to a video store and that cover catches you, you know, catches you. It's that backlight cover of this thing. And then you, you watch it a hundred times and it just becomes this rhythmic thing. And with me, when I watch movies that, you know, may come off as cheesy or may even feel outdated. There's there's always a reason to watch them. As a director, I'm like, that's a cool technique. That's something I'd steal and use somewhere else. I love the way that they did this bit here. Like, there was a bunch yeah. of stuff that I ripped from that movie when I did a short film years ago called Moped Nights. And, and it was a lot of that was pulled right out of The Wraith. <laughs> Wait, time out. You did a short called Moped Night? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wow. About, a, about a moped gang that was uh, murdered and they came back and they were carrying out vengeance, the ghost mopeds. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Serious. Can I see it? Yeah. I'll send it. It's really short, but I'll send it to you. And the only reason I did it was that, you know, I was living in Boston at the time and there was down the street from my studio, these these moped gang kids. And so I went down and hung out with them, and I said, wouldn't it be fun to do something? Uh, so you had the, that, so you kind of, they were extras in production value. Yeah, dude, exactly. You show up, and you're like, we've got everything we need here. Here are all the crazy mopeds. And the no, wait, did you have a lead? I did. I cast uh, this one guy who's really great local actor. His name just escapes me right now, but could he ride a could he ride a moped? No, he got mo well, yes. The, the 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 lead moped guy could ride a moped. Yes, but I had a uh, a lead character who basically gets assaulted by the moped riders and it, like he was a lot of fun. He was a comedian. Um yeah, it's just a short little fun, you know, cheesy piece that uh, we all had a blast doing. Yeah, I love to figure out how to see that. It's just a great yeah, title. Dude, I'll, send, I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you when we're done. I get Mobad Gang. <laughs> it's really cheesy. Um, it was fun, man. It's like, you know, when you're younger, you're, you know, you're trying to fuck around and figure out your voice. And so you find something simple like that. And you find a bunch of people that are willing to, you know, stay out late at night and 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 uh, shoot some fun. And the the side note is that the actor who is the leader of the moped, he's a, one of the most talented actors. And I said to him, "Hey, how'd you like to be in a moped gang?" And he's like, "Fuck yeah!" Because he loves that kind of stuff. And I said, "Cool, you get to wear this helmet. No one will ever see your face." And so for years, the joke was like, "Dude, you like you've never had me on screen. You've never shown my face. I've always p played these parts where you never see my face." And uh, we just shot a short. Uh, a couple weeks ago, which I think is my best work to date, and he he's the lead in it. It's the first time that he's on screen, and he put a, put his all into it. He's like, finally, finally, you see my face. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on, after how long now? Oh, it was years. <laughs> <laughs> it was years. It was a big joke. I would always have him come in and go like, hey, because he would also work on set with us. He'd be, you know, yeah. a great PA or great uh, production assistant. And and I said to him like, hey. Just, yeah. But getting his face on screen really meant something to him. It did, man. He crushed. I'll, I'll have to send you some well, good. stuff. Yeah, he, so he was good. He earned his spot. He did, man. Years later, he fucking crushed it. He he, yeah. he killed hey, it. Listen, that tell you what that is. That is a very interesting thing, and that is casting. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. There's a lot of ways to if you're if you've got a a character and he's driving through your your story and he okay he comes upon a couple of people mm -hmm. and and casting those people. You know, I 
trust. There's a lot of ways you can, there's a lot of ways to get to that spot you need to be when you're a character actor. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not just one way. There's a lot of ways to get there. And I think that, you know, as a, making the casting decision or deciding, hey, let's go this way. This, because mm-hmm. if this works, this is really, really going to be inventive. You know, mm-hmm. casting is, mm-hmm. I'm glad people have chosen me, but I'll tell you what, a lot of people have looked the other way. My batting average as an actor, I mean, now it's changed now, but yeah. I mean, throughout my 30s and 40s and 50s, my batting average wasn't really even 20%, and that's good. Yeah. I would go on 10 auditions to grab a part and a half, two parts. God, man. Yeah, it's and it used to be, relentless. you know, you get in the car. I mean, listen, things have changed. Now you just sit at your desk and do it. Yeah. But, you know, but used to you, the audition process. I auditioned for Star Wars. Oh, really? I didn't know that. In 1977, yeah, I I wrote about it in The Boys. You know, Ron and I wrote that book called The Boys. I just heard about it. I haven't read it yet, but I'm excited to read yeah, it. Yeah, it's audiobook because I speak my words and Ron speaks his words. Oh, even better, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, but anyway, it, it it's a book about our childhood. And mm-hmm. my childhood included the time, first of all, I, 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 I knew George Lucas. I didn't meet him. But because Ron had been in American Graffiti. Yeah, I just watched that again recently. Yeah. Yeah, George. And I've heard a lot of great stories over the years about George. And I've talked to George. But anyway, here I was going to get an adult role. It happened to be Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. They were were auditioning everybody. And so (laughs) I've told this story a lot. Mark, Mark Hamill was there. No kidding. And I, I had auditioned with Mark Hamill a couple of times. There must have been 40 or 50 actors. It was a big call. They were seeing a boatload of people. And it was at the 20th Century Fox Studios. I walked into the room, and Francis Coppola is in the room. And I'm just freaking, I'm gripping it now. Man, Coppola is in the room. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and, uh, a guy, an, a, an old, an associate of the that little family, mm-hmm. Fred Roots, and another guy, Gino Havens. And I kind of was familiar with these people because of graffiti. But mm-hmm. I hadn't met George. George was turned around in a big leather chair. And he spun around and he looked me in the eye and he went, Commander Baylock, Corbin might maneuver. And I fucking, I was blown away. Fuck. You, you want to make a call back to something I did when I was a baby? I know. I know. In a fucking life. <laughs> I'm trying to get a real job here. You want to talk about me being drinking Chanya? <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> so he's a anyway, fanboy of your baby work. I, I don't have the same mentality that I had back when I was 17 years old trying to get an adult job because I did think, fuck, get a fucking life. Yeah. And I was polite, you know. Yeah. And, but he was an original Trek geek before yeah. videotape. He, he knew my episode, you know. It had been, <laughs> let's see, you know, it had been 10 or 12 years. He might have been able to get video copies. 
I don't sure. know. Sure, but still, I mean, the fact that that, that he remembered, the fact that yeah. he was excited, he was probably excited that you were coming in to be able I to guess, say that. But it, it threw me off completely because you got to understand my perspective. Yeah, I don't have the I, I I don't have the perspective I have now. I thought he's referring to me. You want to talk about when I was a baby? You know, and listen, I didn't appreciate what Star Trek meant to me, and all my work as a kid. Mm-hmm. It it took a while, and I wasn't bitter about it, but I thought, Jesus, guys, you know, it's television. Get a life. But here's the thing. What the Andy Griffith show, mm-hmm. what it represents to so many people is something that is way beyond just mindlessly watching a program. Yeah. Right. It's like almost like an alternate reality for a lot of folks that – yeah, you know, grew up watching that stuff. They want to yeah. live a simpler life, and they can watch the Andy Griffith Show, and they they for that half an hour, or sometimes they watch two episodes. Hmm. You know, yeah, because I know I've gone down there and been with those people, and they're not nice people. I had a really wonderful experience with a theater full of people, and they really helped me appreciate what little Leon, the character I played when I was two, three years old, mm-hmm. what that means to them. It's kind of, and Jesus, it's Jesus. You know, I okay. It's crazy, I get it. man. It is, and it's they, cr- listen. It's so, cr- so I, I honor that, and it's humbling. You know, yeah. it really is yeah. because look, it, I, you know, I was just the kid that did it. They could have hired somebody else, but uh, the fact that I'm a part of that, and whatever whatever special gift I have, left an impression as far back as being three, four years old, and they were funny bits. That's the thing. When you go back and look at the Andy Griffith show and you see me, I get a laugh. It's time to take a moment and show some love to the sponsors and the people that uh, make the show possible. Um, and first up, I want to talk specifically about our friends over at Fujifilm. And let me just address the fact that they just signed back on again to be sponsors, um, which is amazing. It's amazing that they continue to support the show, that they love us as much as they do. Um, and look, I'm going to put this out there right now. Please. If you listen to the show, do me a favor and click any of the links, the the traceable links in the description of this episode, and go check out what Fujifilm has going on, okay? Click those links below the episode right now. Show some love. Or head on over to Fujifilm on Instagram and just say thank you. Thank you for making this show possible. Single-handedly, I would say between them and Puget Systems, they're the the reasons why this show exists. Okay? And because of these two companies, because of the support they have and the belief that they have in me and the belief that they have in this show, um, it it is why we're here. It's why we're still here. And all, all I need you to do, dead serious, this isn't some bullshit line. Just click the links and go through. Just let them know that you're listening. And I'm going to tell you this. You're going to find some really fucking cool stuff on Fujifilm's website. Are you in the market for a camera? Maybe you're a uh, director. Maybe you want to have a camera to play around with on set. Maybe you're just someone that likes to go on vacation and do travels and trips. 
their pocket shooters are amazing, dude. I have shot with their X-T200. I love the internal looks on that camera, their little pocket shooter, their X-E4. I've played with them all. So if you're someone that is tired of using your iPhone to take photos, right? Because it's kind of a bummer, right? Even though they have the quote unquote, like different looks for their lens and no, oh, I can make some of the stuff look out of focus. There's something fun about carrying a sturdy camera around your neck when you go on vacation. There's something really cool about that. Or, you know, deciding that you're going to go out and do some street photography. Fujifilm's rigs are amazing for that. So check out anything from their X series. You're going to love it, man. And if you're uh, a filmmaker that's just looking to make short films and you want to have a camera in your pocket that you can also use as a second shooter when you're doing your bigger productions, I cannot suggest the X-H2S more. That rig is amazing. It's amazing. I mean, it shoots. It's got an amazing autofocus on it. So it's got a little flip screen. So if you want to film yourself, you want to make, uh, do people still do vlogs? If you're doing like uh, YouTube content and you need to talk, maybe doing instruction videos, uh, this is the camera for you. It's got long running time. So if you're filming podcasts, it's really good for that. Um, and I've used it to film shorts. I've used it to film pieces. Uh, it's great. It shoots Apple ProRes codecs. Um, it's an amazing camera. So I can't say enough great things about it. So go to fujifilm-x.com. Click the links in the description of today's episode because they are all tra traceable links. So Fujifilm will know that you came from us and they will continue to support us and they want to continue to support us. You just need to prove to them that you're listening. You know what I'm saying? Also supporting the show are friends over at Puget Systems. If you're in the market for a new computer, maybe you want to build a new edit machine like I have, my insane 6K, multiple tracks of video, real-time edit machine, um, go to PugetSystems.com. There you could choose a computer based upon the software you're going to use, and then they love to customize everything. So um, here's what they do. It's a family-owned company, and they build computers. They don't manufacture hardware, so they're not peddling off a warehouse full of shit on you. They're actually going through the process of testing all the new stuff on the marketplace, how it works with the software, how these updates have changed things. Is it worth you spending that money on that new graphics card? Is it going to make a difference? These guys have benchmark tested all of that. It is a great resource website if you're going to build your own computer. And if you're someone that has a post-production company and you want to have a bunch of different machines, workstations that can all communicate with each other, Puget Systems is the way to go. Go to PugetSystems.com. Check it out. These guys are the best in the business. They have been around with me for over 10 years at this point. I have been start. I, I started cutting on a PC and I never looked back. PugetSystems.com. Place to be. And if you guys are using your Fujifilm and you let's say you're going to buy a new Fujifilm camera body. But you're like, Mike, what do I do? I've got like, uh, I've got a whole kit of like old lenses. I've got all these old lenses or I went to a yard sale and I found all these old uh, different types of lenses. How can I make these work with my Fujifilm? Well, do yourself a favor and go to PhotoDeox's website and you can check out the link for that in the description of this episode. That's where everything is in the description. All right. Go there and get yourself a lens adapter. You can get lens adapters to your Fujifilm body that will enable you to put all sorts of different lenses on that camera. 
Uh, you can PL mounts, you can put cinema lenses on it. I use a lot of my old Nikon macro lenses on that camera. They're gorgeous. They're gorgeous, and it's because of the lens adapters at Photo Deox. Great place to go. They're very inexpensive. You know, some of them are under 100 bucks, and it'll change your photography. Photo Deox, place to go for that. And if you get the PL mount, and you want to get your hands on some cinema lenses, uh, and you're living here in Los Angeles, or if you're living in Las Vegas, because they now have a great rental office in Las Vegas, Boca Rentals, they are the company that I use in town um, to shoot my shorts, to do all my content. This is where I'm renting my gear. I love the guys over there. They have a great facility. They love to teach. They love to train. They love young cinematographers and directors. They know that it's important to form relationships with the next generation. So they're going to be there for us. You know, when you go to those larger rental places and then Scorsese shows up and he gets all the fucking gear and you don't get shit. You know what I mean? I love making relationships with boutique rental places and they are the best in the city. And there have been so many listeners of the show that go over there and they send me pictures when they're there. If you rent anything from Boca and you're in the shop, send me a photo on Instagram. Let me know what's up. What are you renting? What are you excited to play with? Because there's a lot of toys there. Go to BocaRentals.com or follow them on Instagram at Boca Rentals. All right? And finally, if you're a newcomer to the show, maybe Clint Howard brought you here, maybe seeing his name, and you're like, wow, Mike's finally getting good guests. <laughs> uh, and you want to go back and uh, see the other amazing guests that I've had on the show. Maybe you want to listen to the Peter Stormare episode. But you're like, man, there's over almost 300 episodes of this. Do I have to scroll through 300 episodes on fucking Apple Podcasts to find the one that I want? No, dummy, you don't. You can go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There I've curated all the episodes by subject material. So if you want to listen to actor episodes, you want to dig up the actor episodes, go there. You want to listen to the episode with Joe Carnahan, director Joe Carnahan? It's all up there, man. We spend time making the website look cool. We spend time putting up supplemental materials. So I'll put trailers for a lot of Clint's movies on uh, today's episode page at inlovewiththeprocess.com. Go there and check it all out. All right. Let's get back to the epic interview with Clint. be so strange right I, I always i'm fascinated i'm fascinated with child actors and being a director that's had to cast children and work with children on screen it's always an interesting thing right because you're sort of looking at the motivation of why that kid's there is that kid there because that kid really wants to be an actor is that kid there because of the parents are trying to make a supplemental income like is this legit is just is this have not? a good haircut 
Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, he's cute. He's got a good haircut. We'll hire him. <laughs> oh, man. But because my old office, when I was back on the East Coast, we were right above a casting agency. So we would come in every day and there'd be a lineup of like hookers. It's like, oh, okay. So they're doing some sort of, you know, hooker scene this week. Or it'd be a bunch of kids. And it, I would always just look at these these parents and these kids and how they're engaging with them and oftentimes you'd see you know very healthy relationships where it was like this is great if you don't want to do this we can leave and sometimes you'd see you know the opposite of that which is like get your shit together and you're like fuck that's a child you know and so um what was it because you came up in a family that you know your dad was an actor director like you you came up in the entertainment business i mean is your earliest memories that like how, like what was your life like as a kid you know well uh, listen i i had a great older brother and he was very loving and he included me in in everything he did mm -hmm. and mom and dad were always really loving they you know ron went off to this thing called work I didn't quite understand what it was, <laughs> but you know, we never talked shop. There was never any training or anything. You know, at first it was Ron, you know, a lot of homework, stunning dialogue mm. and as a child. And then, you know, when I wore gentle Ben and we're talking about, you know, an hour or two at night and that's, you know, where you got to learn the lines. <laughs> You got to figure out what you're going to do. You got to practice. Yeah. Man. You know, dad was all about preparation. So anyway, we, you know, we did that. And listen, it's just, it was fun to do. <laughs> you know, I didn't hate doing it. You know, I didn't feel ever put upon. So, you know, yeah, it's not easy to sit there for an hour while you could be playing, you mm -hmm. know, but you got to mm -hmm. learn your lines. Uh, later on, later on, I got... I re I recognized I was pretty young. I recognized that I was probably the most prepared person on the set. That's funny. Wild. What 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 gave you the insight into that as a kid? Oh, I'd see actors fumbling with their dialogue. <laughs> guys guys grabbing for the script. <laughs> Give me that. Let me see what we got going here. What do we got going? And, I, and I'm right there going, "Don't you know your lines?" <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, man. That's yeah, fun. no, I mean, listen, I recognize, and in fact, you know, I, I remember, listen, to be honest, I remember telling the story. I believe it's true. Do I actually remember the moment when I was working on the set of Bonanza? I did a great episode of Bonanza when I was about five years old. It's crazy. I really carried the friggin' episode, and it was, I was good, solid, you know, and a lot of crazy things happened, uh, you know, the, the, but that was a a kind of a highlight moment getting to act with you know Dan Blocker dude and and that it was just a wonderful experience i had well, you know i mean just the uh, fact that you have the awareness and if you do remember i can't remember what the fuck i was doing at 5 years old <laughs> well i remember doing a scene with Lauren Green i had worked with Michael Landon i thought he was just awesome yeah yeah he was amazing he was younger he smelled good. We, we did a lot of wrestling and he was a good goddamn blocker. It was great. And then I met Lauren Green and I, I thought he was kind of cheesy. <laughs> Here I was, I was six years old and I had an attitude about one of my colleagues. I thought this guy, he's not, he's kind of stiff. <laughs> but what a weird, like the closest thing, and it isn't even there. I, I remember 
when I was a like a late teen, I I ended up uh, taking art classes with my dad, which was weird. And we went to this museum school late at night, and I was the youngest kid in the class, and it was all adults, and it was. It was kind of a, a like a life changing moment for me because I f- I felt almost as equal I felt as an equal with forty year olds you know forty plus year olds that were all in the class and were all learning to do the same thing at the same time and it kind of changed my perspective on adults and it kind of changed my perspective on how I could fit in with adults and you must have had that much earlier right going through the process of performing well, for I all these adults wait, hold on hold on I, I had it so early I don't remember it. It's crazy. You know, I mean, it's all just, listen, I, to me, to me being part of an entertainment family, mm-hmm. to understand how you, f- to, to, to survive and then to, to flourish. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. You know, it's just, it hasn't changed. It, so anyway, I mean, since I was, listen, I remember my very, very, very first memories are playing under theater seats at a little community theater. <laughs> I was a, so I was a toddler. Dad was directing a play <laughs> and, and mom was there, you know, and the actors, they were rehearsing and Ron and I were just playing under the theater seats. <laughs> and that's my memory of hearing the actors and crawling and playing around under the seats. It's it was be. at the Burbank, Com- Burbank Community Theater. No kidding. Yeah. No so anyway, kidding. you know, kind of grew up in the business. Yeah, <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, man. <laughs> and and then um, once uh, once your brother started to get into directing, um, was it the type of thing where you're like, "Hey, bro, put me in the put me in put put me in the movies," <laughs> like, or did he just come to you because he needed to have a friend on set? He needed to have someone he could trust on set. Like, how did it start with you two working together? Well, we're very close. I mean, when he was making his Super 8 movies, mm. he would enlist me. He enlisted Dad. He enlisted Cheryl, his, his future wife. But anyway, we made some... I participated in oh, on a two or three uh, of his short films. And when he got a chance to direct his first film, was Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. Yes. There was actually a role written for me. Because nope. it was a car chase movie, and they, it was a wacky. They had a bunch of different people. They needed to be, do this. They were chasing after this this couple that were eloping to Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and so th- they needed like five or six different people chasing after him. It's a crazy comedy, <laughs> and they built this character. You know, me and this guy Pete Isaacson, and he's about six foot six, and I'm five foot seven. Uh, that we take off in a Bugatti racer with a sidecar. <laughs> and and chase after this this couple anyway so parts were written for me ron trust me yeah yeah you know like with a lot of actors ron ron's used a lot of actors before you know yeah i'm not i'm not the only one and i'm honestly not his signature he does have a signature really cheryl his wife shows up in everything he's ever done no kidding in and I mean, sometimes it's difficult, but I'm talking about, you know, this last movie, 13 Lives. Mm-hmm. Where do you get, you know, a 60 some odd year old white woman in that movie? <laughs> 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 if it comes true. a challenge, Brian, uh, Cheryl has done some wonderful little cameos. She's been teacher. She's, you know, she's been in the middle of a conversation causing a distraction. So the, the lead actor doesn't see that'll be Cheryl. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, Cheryl did. Cheryl uh, showed her breasts in Backdraft. Oh. But it was prosthetic. What scene they was that in Backdraft? There, there, in Backdraft, there was a woman that flashes the firefighters after they. they oh, threw. yes. I remember this now. Well, yes. that's Cheryl with a prosthetic chest on. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. So, anyway, and it's gotten really obscure. Yeah. They've been, I mean, but Cheryl's, listen, Ron and Cheryl have been in love for a long time. That's, I mean, that's it's, wonderful. I was 16 years old when they got married. That's so, crazy. I mean, I was 11 years old. I was 11 years old when they met. Wow. And I'm 64 now. Wild, man. I mean, and that's such a, A, that's a, that's a wonderful thing uh, just in general with marriages and relationships and the communication and the growth between two people. But then to have that in this business that's huge because this yeah. business is loaded well, yeah. with like, you know. Oh, no. Well, listen, what Ron, I mean, you know, what Ron and Cheryl have done with their family, mm -hmm. you know, my goodness. I yeah. mean, he's, you know, listen, Anne, Anne had a, you know, career with Imagine and, and independently being creative as a filmmaker. Um, but, you know, listen, those, he did. Ron does not take lightly raising children. Mm. you know and f having four and overseeing four you know it's it's a huge part of a man's life um, dude and, and you know the talent continues like I, I you know bryce's work she's amazing i thought yeah. she, she was an amazing actress and now she's directing and she's crushing through she's like been, she's been i haven't seen too much of what she's directed i she directed me once Really? And I have a really f f great little story about that. But I mean, as, as an actress, Bryce, I, she's always really honest to God impressed her uncle. Yeah. I yeah. know, you know, listen, I don't care about the friggin' magazine covers and I don't care about all any of that. I just, does she make the moments work? Yeah. She was great as Elton John's mom. Yes. Yes. You know, I think she holds up really good in these Jurassic movies. I mean, yeah, it's goofy. Yeah. But, but she, she holds up really good, but she was great. As Elton John's mother, yeah, man, she's. I uh, mean, but anyway, when when she first directed me, she directed a TV movie uh, for a Lifetime. Mm. She was like a segment of a TV movie, so she, it was and it was about an insane asylum. And I played a guy in the Nut House. Cheryl was also in the Nut House too. Cheryl and I were in the same sort of group therapy session, and it's that that was the movie. Um, who hmm. was in it? Uh, Jason Ritter. No. Jason Ritter was the young lead actor and there was an actress and Bryce was directing it. And my goodness, as she walked around the set, it was unbelievable how her mannerisms and her behavior so reminded me of Ron. That's crazy. The way she would get up off the director's chair and go over and talk to the actor, the way she would talk to the crew, the, the, her whole attitude is in fact that after the first night I worked a couple of days on that show mm -hmm. but after the first night I went home and I called Ron and I said you got to be really proud that's great she, she's you know she handles herself on the set just so well she's just like you except she does one thing that if you did it people would think you were weird when she goes up and talks to the actors she likes to play with their hair weird yeah, and I said, Ron, if you do that, people will think you're really weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah but you know what Ron said, and it makes all the sense in the world. What did he say? She is the oldest sister. Yeah, yeah. She had two younger sisters that she played with their hair. That makes sense, man. Yeah, yeah, and even Reed. 
curling, you know, just, just when you lean over and talk to them, you just kind of play with their curl. <laughs> anyway, I, <laughs> that was the one thing that Bryce did differently than Ron. Ron doesn't do that. So cool, man. It's so cool. So much talent. So much talent in your family. Yeah. It's- well, she obviously, listen, uh, you know, uh, um, D- Disney, the Star Wars people, I mean, they're, they're giving her the, she's got the yeah. confidence and they have the confidence in her. Yeah. And, you know, they're not screwing around. You know, I've done a little work for the Star Trek franchise. Yeah. And Jesus, they don't screw around up there. Up there in Toronto, when they film something and they put it together, they take it seriously. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I mean, it's their cash cow over there. They're yeah. very protective of that. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I think, you know, listen, all you got to do is go to one of those conventions. Wow. <laughs> Just the friggin' loyalty. Yeah. Is, 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 you know, what Star Trek has. It's and crazy. Star Wars, I, listen, I thought Solo was really good. Yeah. I was very impressed. I, I didn't think I was going to like it, but I, I, you know, I think it's underrated. I love that movie. And I think compared to a lot of the other stuff that's been kicking around, I think it's fantastic. And it, there's something about the, um, you know, you, you can't deny the level of experience that Ron has. And when you watch something like that and just the way that the actors feel, the way the blocking works in each one of the sequences, that's refinement. There's a level of refinement in that piece that I think a lot of the newer stuff doesn't have. And it's, I, one would argue that it's younger directors that are getting an opportunity to go in there um, and, you know, try to, you know, get their chops by, by doing that stuff. But, you know, Ron's Listen, just had refinement to it. I thought it was better. Very old school, too. Yeah. He, he really, you know, he, he really has focused on, on, you know, how to get the most creative thing going in the workplace. Yeah. You know, on the set between the material and the actors feeling comfortable about delivering when it comes time to actually shoot it. And you got to shoot it. Yeah. You can talk about it, but you got to finally shoot it, you know? Yeah. Um, but no, I listen, I love Ron's process. I wish I worked for him more. I mean, not only just financially, because, you know, I, I enjoy acting, mm-hmm. but getting a chance to work with him. I, you know, we worked a little bit. I was in a movie called The Dilemma, and it was a really weird time in my life. Hmm. Um, but I worked with, and it was funny with Vince Vaughn. <laughs> oh, no, on that movie, on The Dilemma, I fell. I I fainted about a week before I was supposed to shoot in Chicago, okay. and I land what, what I landed wrong. I landed wrong on my shoulder and my neck, and I you know I think I may have cracked a little bone in my neck. Oh, really? and I'll tell you later. Anyway, I went to the hospital. I had shooting pains down both arms. Oh, man. I went to the hospital and they X-rayed me and they said, "No, your neck is not broken," and they let me go home. And I went to Chicago and I worked on the movie and I. The character it worked. I was kind of. I had a hitch in my getty up, and it was just it made, you know. But I was still sore from this fall, dude. And that was the dilemma. And I don't know what day that was. Two thousand and thirteen. I worked. You know, I worked on solo. Yeah. Yep. But there's been a lot of things that Ron's done that there just hasn't been a spot for me, and I get it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's cool, man. Like I, 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 I try to put my brother in as many things that I do as I can. I, I love that relationship. It, and it's an, it's an inspiring relationship. Whenever I see you in his movies, I'm just like, man, that's super cool. That's super cool. Yeah, I'd like to, but again, you know, that's fun. It's great that you say that. I would like to do, I'd like, you know, I'd like another couple of cracks. Yeah. See, I like to act. I do. 
you know, I've done a few things that I've been real proud of. It's just the problem is nobody's seen them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's tough. my God, I did a movie called Planet Ibsen where I played Henrik Ibsen. And it, I didn't even play Ibsen. I played like this vision of what this guy thinks Ibsen might look like. Huh. And it was weird. It's sort of like an intellectual Beetlejuice. And it was very, it was a hallucinatory movie that oh. was made back in the early 2000s. Very cool. Yeah, Planet Ibsen. And and I played Henrik, I played, you know, I did the hair and the, we. it was interesting. It was a good movie. I'm very proud of it. But, you know, it got hung up in distribution issues. And yeah. you know, I have a copy of it. Yeah. I don't think anybody can legally kind of get it out there. Yeah, that sucks. That does suck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah ma'am. So, yeah. But anyway, well, listen, that, you know, I have it. I get, you know. I, <laughs> well, I'd love to see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, at some point, you know what? Seriously, I don't know. Yeah, I do have a copy. Yeah. Actually, I need to, I, I actually have a master that the director gave me, one of the, one of his masters. Uh, yeah. He's a nice, nice Jonathan Weich, this filmmaker. Really interesting guy, very intellectual movie. The movie is flawed as sure. a as an hour and forty minute thing. It's like kind of it, it it bogs down and it gets confusing. But it, otherwise, Jesus, a pretty good experiment for a couple hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, fuck yeah, man, that's great. What um, what's your what's your process uh when you're uh getting ready for a role? Especially if you're doing a, like, you're transforming just, you know, the gas station attendant into, you know, whatever you call him, Charles or whoever yeah. he's going to be. Like, yeah. what's your process when you get a script? Well, it's not always in this order at all. But usually, you know, you get the material, you know who's doing it, you know, you mm -hmm. got an idea that what they're looking for and you, res you respond to it. But my process, once I'm actually, you know, a, a few days out from work, I, my literal process is I have index cards mm -hmm. that I slowly write the dialogue. I am, I will play the head, play the scene in my head, but when it comes to my dialogue, I will write it out. I just feel like that just from a stamp mentally, mm. my brain has a little better chance of absorbing something. If I've, if I've taken a minute and written, you know, right. John said you, John said you weren't doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And you write that down. And, you know, you I, I can refer to these cards for the next day or so. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I take those cards to the set. I don't I, I know the material. You know, I actually spend some time working on material in a jacuzzi <laughs> and in a sauna. Really? I, yes. Yes. A and um, my wife, Kat, and I have a sauna. Nice. And uh, and oh. so, you, you know. With they make they make waterproof paper and waterproof ink, huh. and you can they make it for like engineers out in a rainstorm. It's actually really cool stuff. You can write, <laughs> you, you can do the same process and have this in the sauna, and you know you do a couple of fifteen minute rotations. I oh, first off, I love the the trial and error that it took you to get to a point where you're like, we should probably get waterproof cards. And is there waterproof ink out there? <laughs> <laughs> well, that happened. Honest to God, that happened in one fell swoop. But I mean, and for a while, listen, I don't, I don't have to have it with me. It's just nice to have. I mean, so yeah. anyway, and I don't, it, uh, just, but the writing down process, 
Yeah. The writing down process, it's amazing. And also a, a little tip that a guy gave me, his name's Mike, Mike Grief. Mm-hmm. Wonderful guy. He never had much luck as an actor, but he kind of did some stand-up comedy. He did. He's done some acting. But anyway, he said one time that he learned if you think in front, if you got dialogue that you got to you know get to memory, mm-hmm. if if you think maybe that you might know it, you probably do because just trust us, your brain is doing better than you think it's doing. Yeah, and just holding to that. I mean, that's no, uh, there's no shortcut with preparation. Ultimately, you need to be in a quiet place and think about your character. You know, also another big thing that happens, listen, is when wardrobe happens. I was going to ask about that because a lot of your characters have like very stark, very interesting visual styles, whether it's hair or whether it's outfits. You a big process with all that? Do you you like to try to get involved with that early? Well, yeah, I, I, listen, uh, let everybody have a say mm-hmm. and I don't care. I'm just, you know, whatever works for the movie. But finally I'll look myself in the mirror and say, okay, here's the guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is the guy, this is the guy, but we got to get a better belt buckle. I'm all, you know, it's always about, Hey, can we get a little different here? Can we, can we make the, the, all pocket protector bigger? Yeah, yeah. No. I mean, dude, look. He needs I, more keys. He needs more. This guy needs keys. It needs to be irritating. He needs more keys than he ever used. <laughs> and so that your big pile of keys, just as an odd little thing, you know. Well, dude, I think that's where your skill is too, man, because you have such a visual presence when you step on screen. And even before you say first lines, you just – there are times where you just spin around on camera and you go like, fuck yes. And it isn't well, just, listen, I, I appreciate that again. It's fun. Yeah. And it makes me feel good. I, you know, Dude, I don't I, have any work immediately outside of working on ice cream, man, you yeah. know, and we're, we're really working hard. Norman and I are working really hard at getting that out and getting it made. That's super um, cool. But as far as other That's acting cool. jobs, I would love to act. I would love to grab some, you know, which is, I haven't really had. I, I worked in a movie with Nick Cage called The Old Way. Yeah, I saw that. That's that was, the recent one. Yeah, that was an interesting experience and it was fun. It's now been a couple of years since I actually worked on it. Well, it's been a couple but, of years for a lot of people, right? We went through COVID, went through all the other bullshit and all the changes yeah, and the writer yeah, strike and everything that's going that. on. Yeah, but, you know, listen, there's a, that's no excuse because there's a lot of people that have worked. Yeah, and they yeah. get good things done. And it's just, you know, and listen, again, I'm not to keep touting it, although I am going to keep touting it. This ice cream man that, that I'm doing, it, I think it's really, you know, going to hit a note. Norman and I and my wife, Kat, were kind of a producing team. And my wife is, plays a really unbelievably important part because she's, she's smart in a different way. I'm kind of, I have a certain intelligence about the business. But she comes at it from a different perspective. So anyway, and Norman and I were, you know, we're really going to get this, you know, out there to the public because there's a market for it. Yeah, there, there is a market for a guy like me being in a in a modestly budgeted horror movie. I, dude, I complete. I'll tell you this, Clint. I, I, I just our conversation and just hanging out and chatting, man. Like, I would love to work with you. <laughs> <laughs> like this. Well, I appreciate that. Well, yeah, listen, man. let's stay in touch. Yeah, I mean, man. now not to get too, you know, 
you know, but anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, doing yeah. an interview now with you, but sure. Yeah, man. I, Hell yeah. You know, I always, I always appreciate it. Yeah. I, and I, creative work is, you know, fun. I go back and think about some of the highlights that happened in my life. My, you know, a little bit of time, my day working on Seinfeld. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's right. You did Seinfeld. What was that like? What was that like? It was awesome. Working with Jerry and Jason in mm -hmm. a police car. The majority mm -hmm. of my stuff was basically in the backseat of a police car. Mm -hmm. between George Costanza and Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> and were you a Seinfeld and, fan like everybody else? No, but I appreciated them. I, I, no, I wasn't really a fan, but, but once I got to the set, I realized that w what magic, you know, Jerry had. Yeah. And Tom, too, the director, I believe it was Tom Chironis. Hmm in my episode you see my episode was a block and shoot episode it wasn't in front of a live audience right 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 it was in a police car so they mounted a hood, hood camera the director got in the passenger seat no it wasn't even the no no they had probably had a camera truck because they had two cops hmm. two actors played cops that were one they were driving and anyway right, right i was right. a smog strangler and i have a conversation with jerry and george about how much do you tip a chambermaid? <laughs> and it's just obscure stuff that it worked on the day. And in fact, it's a kind of, I said it hundreds of times, but the, um, the, in that famous scene, yeah. the last thing I say is, and Lander sucks. <laughs> and anyway, when we were doing it, we were, you know, Roll camera, drive around, drive around. We do the scene, and I fucking forgot the line. Oh, really? And Ann Landers sucks was not the line. Oh, no. Ann Landers, it's a, you know, something. It, it was some line that was similar, but I froze it when Ann Landers sucks. And then the everything stopped, and Jerry started to get out of the car, and he went, oh, Jerry, one, we can do that one more time. We'll go around. I'll get it right. And he leaned over, and I'll never forget. He kind of had to, because I was still sitting in the this, in this back seat. Yeah. He leaned down and looked at me and said, are you kidding? He knew how, how that landed perfect, <laughs> and that we were done filming. But that was, and anyways, but that was one of those moments where I really, I said, one more time, we can do it. I'll get, I'll learn the line. Yeah. So anyway, that was yeah. my sign. And I, cool. I had a great, I had a great experience working with Michael Keaton in a very similar way. Really? Which Mike, one was this? Michael Keaton made a short film called, but I'm happy that, huh. that ran in the David Letterman film festival. And there was like three or four actors that were, that got, got a little money to, to make films. Mm -hmm. Michael Keaton took his really seriously. He spent 30 or $40,000, maybe less, mm -hmm. but he made a short film that was really inventive and really funny. And I'm in it. And it's one of the best things I've ever done. And here's the thing about it is I knew Michael and he hired me to play this crazy character. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I go down and I do it. I do it. And but at the end of the day, I have this unfulfilled feeling. I go, fuck. I know I worked a lot. I had a lot to do. This There was a lot of stuff. And I just don't think I did Michael any good at all. I mm -hmm. that you know, it was really bad what I did. And like the next day, my agent called and said, oh, they want, there's a company that wants to hire you for a movie. It's called The Wraith. <laughs> the director had seen my Letterman when, I mean, he had seen it on The Letterman Show. 
I mean, no it wasn't. Kidding. I had an unfulfilled moment that day on the set, but then time passed, and finally, Michael Keaton went on David Letterman and showed the film. No kidding. And it was really funny. And that next day, Mike Marvin called my agent and said, "You know, there's a part in the race that I'd like him to do." And Mike said he's never. That, Mike Marvin told me that had never happened to him before. He had never seen something and and said, "I got to hire that guy." That's. I mean, dude, that's a testament to your. To your presence, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah come on, man. I'll, I mean, I'll I'll give it to you. It's a testament yeah. to your presence on screen. Like you are presence when you well, when you come on it screen once. And then the batting average. <laughs> it What's that? Once. I've been in this business sixty years. It's gonna, you know, any blind chicken finally gets a kernel of corn. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, it is. That blind chicken. Gonna finally, gonna finally get a corn. <laughs> Just take a few minutes. I feel like that's the title of this episode. I think that's the title of the show. Every blind chicken gets a kernel of corn. <laughs> no, um, oh, he got one. He got one. <laughs> 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 oh that's funny oh wow. dude uh what? anyway it, uh, uh where were we god i've said that well, a couple we, of times. you know that's such an g- interesting story about my it's it's fascinating i just had oh a- no the michael it was unfair and it just goes to show you let me finish as sure. an actor as an a- i don't get a lot of great satisfaction you know immediately being an actor but yet you know it the work tells me whatever I'm doing is working and I just got to keep the process up. But it wasn't like I, th- I was thought really shitty. I said, man, I really, I'm Michael. I, I like him. And here I was, I wasn't sure what I did was any good. Mm-hmm. It shows that my perspective as an actor is not yeah. good from, you know, with all the information that's going through my head and from my position as an actor, not being able to see myself, Mm-hmm. listening to everything, all the rattle in my head, you mm-hmm. know, ultimately that's a bad, bad perspective. I mean, don't pick that guy's seat. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, it's, it's all about being, trying to find a way to be secure with your work and, and, and be confident yeah. with what it is that you're doing. It's, it's tough though. Right. Because you're in a place where you're experimenting. You're, you're, if you trust who you're working with, you're trying to, to go to weird places um, and it's yeah. hard to get that perspective because you're not, you're, A, you're not the mm-hmm. one seeing the monitor. You're not the one seeing the performance. You're in the middle of the performance. And I yeah. mean, there are multiple times where I've said stuff and I'm like, oh, fuck, how bad was that? And you go back and you listen to it and you go, oh, it's fine. You were just in your head, your, your head about that yeah. shit, man. Bad place. So yeah, anyway, like, I mean, so how, I I, do you still feel my, like you, creatively, creatively, I know how to dig my heels in, yeah. but. And also, listen, at the end of the day, we're just trying to get some kind of lightweight entertainment. Yeah. It's not always lightweight, but to just to entertain people. Yeah. Interesting images. Honest. Yeah. You know, honest, fun, like, oh, I haven't thought of that before. That's a funny way of looking at something. Those are kind of things. I mean, listen, because all the stories have been told, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just finding kind of fresh ways. Yeah, and then, and then like there's like the, the weird combinations that are that come to it. Like every story's been told, but the, there's like this weird sort of variable created with you creating a character or some strange variable from a life experience that that storyteller had that 
puts it on the page. There are all these strange little variables. And I, I think that's what makes movie making so exciting is that even if you sit down and you go, all right, is this guy, his wife was killed and now he's got to do this thing. It's the same fucking story, but you're casting for those variables. You're casting for like those organic little nuggets that, you know, when people watch the last Mission Impossible movie and Henry Cavill's in the bathroom, and he does that quick little punch thing. Like no one knew he was going to do that. And that's like the best part of the fucking movie. You know, it's the same story over and over again, but you go to see that little moment. You know, I'm not sure I've seen a Mission Impossible movie. I maybe saw a few minutes of it. I remember he was hanging by wires at one point. Yeah, he's he's strapping himself to airplanes. <laughs> he's doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I've seen some of the trailers where you know nuclear weapons are you know blow off the back of the airplane, and there he is flying. <laughs> That's a little broad. It's not, he's not quite that bad. But anyway, listen, it's entertainment, and God bless him. He looks good now. Yeah. And I, you know, I never really worked with him. I met him. Oh, that's on good. that's why far and away. Mm-hmm. I worked with Nicole Kidman, but Tom was had his fingerprints on that movie, and he was good in that movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Far and away was a good. You know, you want to go back in the guy's history. You know, Ron's made some interesting movies. Far and away, far and away, it was like 1991. Yeah, I remember. Um, and and uh, Nicole Kidman mm-hmm. and Tom and some other really good actors too. There was a guy that played the, the nemesis. He was in Dharma and Greg for a while. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it'll come he, to me. He, yeah, he played the he played the bad guy in Far and Away. Yeah. Daniel. Anyway. Yeah. It, you know, I can find out. I know how now how long are we gonna chit chat for? Well, dude, like we're 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 crossing into an hour, so like if 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 you got to go, we can we can wrap this up. If you're enjoying yeah, yeah. yourself, we can keep talking. So it's up to you, man. Let's try to let's try to close by twelve fifteen. We can do that, man, easily. Okay. Um. And- well, I mean, so so do you feel just so, so to sort of wrap up that other statement that we were talking about? Do you still feel insecure when you're when you're acting, or have you? found a, a like a, a confidence in your process at this point that you fall back on do you still walk off sets no I, listen I, I, listen i hope it works for them people you know people pay money to have me come and work and play a character and they invest in me and i hope it works mm-hmm. and you know I, it 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 literally is a process and there's a completion and then it's done mm-hmm. you know um but anyway I, again i yes i hope that I get a chance, and I hold on. I'm stuttering a little bit. His name's Tom Gibson. Okay, Thomas Gibson. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the actor in Far and Away, and he was the second lead to Tom Cruise. Anyway, I I should have left that one back. It's all good, man. It's all good. Look, look, we can we can wrap this up too, Clint. Like it's been a pleasure going down uh, this road with you and and just hearing your experiencing or your experiences and just, um, you know, I have nothing but respect for the work you do, my friend. And I think that you sh- should continue to work. I think you will continue to get work. I would love to work with you. Um, and I think uh, every time, like I said before, every time I see you on screen, I cannot help but smile. 
So, well, God, you know, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And, and, and not just because you said those words, but we have to exchange information. <laughs> we will. As soon as we get off air, we'll talk. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it'd be fun. You seem like a really good creative guy and finding, you know, finding opportunities where through words, what a creative mind thinks, you know, okay, how, how best can this little story get told? Mm-hmm. Well, let's tell a little story about a guy that, you know, anyway, I, I, I like to be that guy. Dude, I'd love to, I'd love to do it with you. So, yeah. um, well, Clint, thanks for being on the show, my friend. Well, cool. Yes. And listen, maybe we can do it again. Maybe we can narrow it. Listen, we, there, there's so much about my years, like my years were, were working for Roger Corman. Oh, oh, Dude, you want to come back and do a whole Roger Corman episode? Yeah, you I'm mean, in. It's, just, it's just, it's very interesting. I am you know. in, in, in. We will schedule that. <laughs> okay. Sounds cool, cool, man. Listen, right. be, be well. Thank you, Clint. There it is. Today's episode in the can. <laughs> It's a good one. I'm pumped about it. I'm pumped. Uh, Clint and I talked offline. We'll see. I think he's a cool dude. Uh, I would be honored to work with him. And there are a lot of young directors that are listening to this show. Uh, He's an asset. I'll tell you that, man. He's very approachable. You know? I didn't have to go through all sorts of crazy channels to get in touch with him. So... Think about that as you guys are putting together your pieces. He is definitely an asset, man. And um, thanks for listening to the show. You know, what's going on with me? We, I'm recording this on the 5th. I dragged my ass out of bed after hanging out last night for the 4th. Uh, went over and hung out with uh, my buddy Chris Candy and uh, Rick Darge. Gina and I went over and hung out with all them. Hillary um, and uh, saw the fireworks. We had this really fucking fascinating vantage point of Los Angeles we saw like a big sprawl of it and it's crazy the fireworks stuff out here is crazy you feel like you're in a fucking war zone and you're just looking everywhere and just consistently for hours and hours and hours it's just fireworks 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 to the point where you know this morning i woke up at like the crack of dawn with a headache and a sore throat and i was like jesus christ what is our air quality at what are we at right now 168 that that is how many fireworks went off where i'm looking at the iq air app today 168 jesus christ blows my mind um but uh how was your fourth did you guys have a good fourth uh what did you guys do did you barbecue did you make something tell me about it send me pictures on instagram let me know what you think and let me know what you think of today's episode and do me a favor here's here's a nice little homework exercise for you guys when i do the posts for today's show just comment underneath the post tell me what your favorite clint howard role is what is your favorite uh clint howard performance post that for me and uh you know we'll show some love and he is definitely on Instagram. So if you guys loved today's episode, just write to him on Instagram and be like, dude, come back on the show. I would love to book him on the show again because I feel like we just scratched the fucking surface of what we can talk about. Would you guys like that? You want more from Clint? Let me know. All right, that's it. I'll let you guys go. Thanks for listening to the show. 
And uh, as always, I'll see you next Tuesday. Well, I-